Live from the Nova Home Loan Studios, it's Cofield and Company. All right, here we go. On a Tuesday, 5 o'clock hour is here. Adam Hill is the company. Jeff's helping us out on the scene. We heard from Dustin DeHart earlier. Give him a call to get that mortgage tune-up, 577-2600. Ari is back in our Finley Toyota Studios, and I am Steve Cofield. We're heading to a 6.30 start first. Uh, first. UNLV football coaches show of the year. Of course, Marcus Arroyo is the head coach. The Marcus Arroyo radio show live at Parkway Tavern on Volunteer. That's down near the M. They'll rotate back and forth between the uh, 215 and Flamingo location and the location down by the M. Right here, live, you can hear the show. Marcus Arroyo radio show coming up at 630. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five. Number five. All right, what do you think of the new slogan? In uh, ads now, you know, forever. It's funny. I remember yeah, going all the way back to uh, 1996 when I first got here about uh, Vegas really wanting to kind of brand itself as the entertainment capital of the world. Well, now we're going to go with sports and entertainment capital of the world because we've got the stadium. We've got all these big events. We've got college football games coming in, wrestling a couple of weeks ago, by the way, SummerSlam setting a record for that event with over 51,000 fans. Are you down with the sports and entertainment capital of the world? No more just entertainment. Yeah, I almost want to, even though I care more about the sports and the entertainment, I think it should be entertainment and sports capital of the world, but mm. I, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine either way. I, I mean, I think sports and entertainment leads to that sports entertainment thing of wrestling, which I don't want to be necessarily tied to. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it's good. And it's true. I mean, I, I, who's debating this, that we've been the entertainment capital of the world, and now we are the sports capital of the world. Everything is coming here. Tons of events coming. Uh, the college football games are trending pretty well. UNLV, Eastern Washington should do a pretty decent crowd. We'll probably have 60,000 here for BYU and Arizona on Saturday. The Iowa State UNLV game is going to be a ton of folks from Iowa and Ames. Uh, but, you know, that's that's looking probably towards a crowd of 40,000. They open the 300 section. I saw Legion Airlines is like, yep, adding flights from Des Moines. <laughs> so they're going to be flying those folks in. And uh, I know tomorrow I think they introduce Allegiant, uh, you know, as a big partner and sponsor with, you know, Legion Stadium and everything. They're going to be introducing a uh, a Raiders themed aircraft. So, plane, so plane's little, gonna be awesome. a little silver and black for the plane. I don't know. Are you going to go out to that? I want to see some pictures. Your boy Acres will be there. I will not be. There's practice tomorrow, so I'll be. I'll, I'll be at practice. Some things are more important. You're saying, yes. especially after cut day. Uh, sure. I think it's kind of kind of big. Number four. I don't like to cover the same story back to back days at the same time. It's one of my pet peeves. So I sure. guess people can now look out for it, but. Uh, Methods of the Madness, but I do have to get an update on the Mets fans. Check that. The Mets players hating their fans, which you and I were all about, right? Hey, you Mets fans, you want to be jerks to freaking Javi Baez because he goes in a mini slump or Lindor signs a deal? You want to boom? They were like, we'll boo you. When we do well, we give you a thumbs down. Well, apparently, uh, Mets owner Steve Cohen has now given the fans license to just act like complete horses' asses and has actually sided with the fans. Yeah, and he made them apologize. And Baez and Lindor apologize, which... Well, in Baez's case, just leave. Yeah. So good luck retaining him. Yeah. And I I'd think, be like, my price just went up $100 million. You well, treat me like that in front of the fans who are treating me like crap, I, there's lots of other places that'll want me. And I think it started with your guy, uh, Mad Dog, uh, basically saying there's going to be an insurrection at the stadium over this. And I, don't, I, th- I don't even, what does that mean, though? <laughs> what does it mean? 
that the fans are just going to start attacking the play. They're going to come out of the I, crowd. I suppose, but again, we we laid it out yesterday. You've got a couple of franchises in New York that consistently have shown players don't want to play there. Yeah. So now you've just sent a message, as the Knicks have with their dopey owner James Dolan. Now the Mets have sent a message that the fans are more important than the players. Yeah. It's... So so when the, the next time around, I hope a player just comes out right and says it, and says like I wouldn't play there. They he. The fans are being obnoxious. The owner is pro fan over pro player. No, thank you. It's it's silly and it makes no sense and everything else. But um, yeah, you're 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 right about it. And, and then they had them apologize, and then the fans booed the apology. Like, yeah. why are you why are you countering? Enjoy to these losing for the next forty years. So Steve Cohen's got plenty of money. I hope he can buy his way out of this one. Good luck. Now the great thing is on the flip side, the PGA with their fans, they hate them. They don't care. Yeah. So what is this Brooksy band now around DeChambeau? So Bryson DeChambeau lost his mind the other day because a- after a heartbreaking, which I find hilarious, after a heartbreaking loss in the playoff hole, the sixth hole of the playoffs, I believe it was, uh, he was storming off the course. And one of the fans, of course, uh, just goes, hey, Brooksy, which it bothers him. And the reason they keep doing it is because it bothers him so much. Just ignore it. They'll stop doing it. But instead, he went and cried to the PGA Tour, who now is saying that is going to be part of the code of conduct for fans. And if you yell it, you're gone. Let's lay down a challenge. God almighty, I wish I was local radio in Phoenix (laughs) for the freaking whatever they call it now. It's the waste management. Yeah. If that entire stadium hole was just like, Roxy, Roxy, what are you going to do? What kick are you going to do? 20,000 fans chanting Brooksy at this idiot? I Everyone's going to get thrown out? I hope Power they do. Power numbers. Let's go. I hope they do. It'd Mets fans won. You know, in this case, I actually back the fans. And because because your players can't control themselves and throw temper tantrums on the course and almost go beat up fans for yelling it, uh, now fans can't do it anymore. They're going to get kicked out. Man. Just stop. I, I find Bryson DeChambeau entertaining, but, man, something is making him rage. Who knows what? Number three. Riverboat Bill. I already have Riverboat Ron DeSantis. We've got Riverboat Ron Rivera. Now we got Riverboat Bill. The hell is he doing? Cam Newton out. No real backup for the rookie Mac Jones. Mac Jones is the guy. By the way, on top of that, he's going to go with a rookie kicker. Quinn Nordin is now Superstar. the Superstar. Is now the kicker. Okay, maybe. Super Is that your fantasy kicker? Go blue. Uh, and uh, Stefan Gilmore having injury issues. He's on the pup list, so he's out the first six weeks. There's there's a lot going on with the Patriots. A lot of moving You pieces. seem, well, you're you're kind of anti-Bills, but, you know, you make some good points. The Bills could be in for a regression, especially with the infighting on the team over the uh, the stupid back stuff. By the way, Isaiah McKenzie, we talked about it yesterday, the other day. This, he's like, all right, that's enough. I'm going to get vaxxed. And now he has to face attacks from from fans and wives of players, excuse me, from not from fans. Uh, did Poyer's players, wife, did Poyer's wife go after him? Kind of, oh, giving in to the to the mob. Like, okay, like just knock it off. Like this is what you have, this is what you're dealing with in Buffalo. Have fun, enjoy this year. Am I uh, as I'm, they should because the I'm, fans are jackass. I'm sorry. Am I wrong for being bullish on the Dolphins? I actually I really like Tua, and I think as they get healthier, wide receiver. I think the Dolphins can have a good season. I don't like what the Patriots have done here. I want a real backup, not freaking Brian Hoyer. I don't want a rookie kicker. Uh, the Bills thing, I, I like you. I see some problems there. Well, we're going to find out week one, right? Uh, Mac Jones against Tua in that first game, and the uh, Patriots are laying two and a half for I, now. Yeah, I think I've been I've been pretty high on the Dolphins all off season, but then I, you start to go back and look at their games last year, and 
Um, I, I hope that they can continue it, but a lot of their games were kind of one on smoke and mirrors. Well, you're, you're counting on Tua. One, Tua has to take the next step. Two, having a new OC, they've got to have confidence in Tua and run a real offense and not dink and dunk. And he, he, he's part of it was him too. A lot of checkdowns, you know? Oh, yeah. There's a, obviously, there's a lot of yak going on at Alabama. Hey, you know, I can't get the ball downfield. Well, I've got a guy who runs a, you know, a three nine five who's going to destroy sure. everyone on the field. I've got four of them. Let me just throw a freaking slant or some kind of dump off, and they're going to go seventy yards. Yeah, NFL is a little different now. He does have Waddle, so maybe Waddle yeah, translates to immediately to the NFL that way. And you've got like weird, like weirdly good, you know, like Gaskin and Ahmed are, are like weirdly good players. Like nobody really talks about. Like they've got talent. They've got they've got they've got guys. Their receiving core is really good, especially when Fuller's back. Uh, Gasicki, nobody's talking about, is a really good tight end. Like they've got weapons uh, if he can step up. And I, I, you know, I think I talked about this on the air that I talked to um, Tua's, you know, quarterback guru from growing up, the guy that has been with him since he was in like seventh grade. And he said a lot of what was going on last year was the Dolphins, uh, kind of saying, "Hey, do this," and and uh, kind of keeping the training wheels on us. He said, uh, and he said that's not Tua's style, and he can't thrive in that style. They have to just turn it over to him and say, "It's your team," and go. And and that he thinks he's going to be a lot better. So we'll see if that's the case. But they have the weapons. They've got the defense. I think the coaching staff's really good. They've got a lot of positives going on. The schedule is a little bit tougher. Number two. Conte, it sucks. It's sad. You know, guys are trying to work their way on the NFL rosters, and uh, it's tight, man. It's hard to make a roster. Uh, we saw one of our locals, a couple locals, got bad news today. One of our locals, Tyrell Crosby, is now available. Former Oregon tackle was drafted by the Lions. He was cut by the Lions. I think there's going to be interest in Crosby. Yeah. Raiders aren't exactly freaking, you know, guaranteed loaded at the backup tackle positions. Yeah, I, I think Any shot they'd kick the tires here? They might, and I, I'm sure if the if you know, I think several teams are going to reach out to Tyrell, and I think um, if the Raiders are one of them and their offers in the same ballpark as everybody else, I think it'd be it'd make a lot of sense. I'm sure he would love to play in Las Vegas. I actually don't think the, the Raiders tackle situation is that bad. Obviously Colton Miller, really good leather with a first round pick. You'd expect him to be pretty good. And, and Brandon Parker has been a solid swing tackle for them. I, I would say any team that watches tower across from last year, you're probably like, okay, interested. If you watch him in the preseason may not be, but you know, I, I think he's a guy that has had success at this level. Uh, anybody that can play tackle at the NFL level is going to be sought after uh, and has done it before and successfully. So uh, yeah, I would expect that he's looked at him and he went from, you know, being a starter for them to not being on the roster. Uh, so, you know, we'll see. By the way, Panay was dreadful also in preseason. So uh, we'll see how that works out for the Lions in, in terms of their offensive line. Uh, a big work in progress for them up there for sure. But, yeah, I think a lot of teams are going to at least kick the tires uh, on Tyrell Crosby. Also not good news for Johnny Stanton. Yeah. Browns move on for now. Yeah. But again, a lot of teams still work in progress. This is, uh, I, and I've I've slipped up and said the final roster also, initial roster. It's the right. initial fifty-three man roster. Certainly not finalized uh, by any stretch. I would imagine no team in the league has the same fifty-three man roster today that they do on Thursday. Number one, most surprising move today was it moves? Dylan Stoner wide receiver battle against the veteran John Brown, and both are gone. Yeah, five receivers. I can't imagine that's the case come Thursday, that they only have five receivers on the roster. Uh, somebody else will be there. I, I think that Stoner is in the plans uh, to bring him back, and I, I think that he's in the plans to bring him back to the active roster. They're going to have, I think, at least three spots, maybe four, 
opened up by guys going injured reserve. So And explain that again for the audience that is just tuning in now didn't hear Raiders have a lot of dudes that you think they're going to put on IR, but yeah. if they did it today, then the status is really screwed up. So they've, they've basically stashed IR players and yeah. they're going to need to fill out the roster. So you have to get down to 53 by 1 p.m. today. If you do that by putting a player on injured reserve, you can keep them around on your team for next year, but they cannot play this season. So if they're on injured reserve as of today, they're out for the entire season. If you keep them on your 53, then you can put them on IR tomorrow. I guess it's after 24 hours, but put them on IR starting tomorrow, and then they're able to return. And with the new IR rules, you can have a bunch of guys back and forth. They only have to miss three games. That started last year because of COVID, but that is the rule now that you can have them back and forth. And in terms of practice squad guys, you've got extra spots on your practice squad. You can also protect four guys on your practice squad. So after like everybody's on waivers now, every, every team has 24 hours to put claims in on who they want. And anybody that's not claimed on waivers is ineligible to come back for your practice squad or be re-signed to the team. But the key is you could put players on injured reserve to get down to the 53, but they're not able to come back. So what the Raiders did is they put all their injured players on the 53-man roster today. They will all be moved to IR tomorrow, I would imagine. And then you'd have four spots uh, open up, which would be Javen White, Nicholas Morrow, both linebackers. If you look, the linebackers are going to have seven linebackers on the roster right now. There is zero chance. They're keeping seven on the opening day roster. So you've got White and Morrow. Uh, Keyshawn Nixon's also hurt. I imagine he might go to short-term IR. And uh, Jalen Richard, I would imagine, which then puts them down to three running backs. So they're going to have to bring somebody in, which I imagine will be Trey Regis if he's not claimed in the next 24 hours. Uh, coming up, we'll react to the uh, news that Carl Joseph was cut. What does that mean for all those young defensive backs? It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 570-9000. Dave Chappelle was the nicest celebrity I've ever seen at the Jake Paul vs. Tyron Woodley fight. Hundreds of people were trying to talk to him and then grab a selfie. I sat right behind him and he took a picture with every single person that asked. Even during the fight, he wanted everyone to have a good time, so he would stand up on top of his chair so everyone would get out of their seat and start cheering. Even after the fight, Dave tried to cheer up Tyron Woodley, and I'll cheer up if you follow me. From the fantastic Nova Home Loan Studios, it's Cofield and Company. That was a nice, uh, nice video put together on TikTok. Did you know that Dave Chappelle was at the fights at Jake Paul Woodley? I mean, and apparently he, it was like super popular, just sitting in the front row, taking pictures. And then he actually did. There was a piece of video where he's just sitting there talking to Woodley, like all despondent after Woodley had lost, kind of give him a pep talk. Dave Chappelle is a big boxing guy, but he's a huge MMA guy. He's around all the time. Um, and I, also, I, I was aware because, first of all, they showed him on the broadcast, but they also he was in the front row. He was in like the fifth row, but like the front. I don't even know how to describe it. Like there was like ringside and then there was seats above it. And he was like in the front row of that. And he was literally on his feet the entire fight screaming. Yeah. So, I mean, it was very obvious on the broadcast that he was there. Uh, There's a lot of celebrities there, obviously, but uh, Dave Chappelle, actually a hometown fight for he's a, he's like, he lives yeah. like just outside of Cleveland. Lives in the sticks in Ohio. Yeah. yeah. Uh, follow Omar Raja. Give him a shout out. Put together a little video. Okay, good. Yeah. TikTok. <laughs> I'm impressed, man. You love TikTok. There's good stuff up there. Stuff I might miss. I, I get caught up. I'd never I, seen I would have never. I would have never seen some, like, video mashup of Dave Chappelle at the fights. I thought it was cool. I don't think I ever see anything 
worthwhile on TikTok, well, but I, I, I told a lot you, of videos. You're freaking stop. Just skip quickly on the 19 year old bouncing boobs. Well, that's what TikTok's for. And it's not. There's a lot of good stuff <laughs> up there, but you. But the, the algorithm, once you get caught in that tornado of lust, then you're stuck in it. Every once in a while, I as intrigued as I am by it, I'm just like, skip, 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 and then food. Okay, I'm going to watch it. Give it 10 seconds. But you also, like, because when you're hitting the, the back button or whatever, like, to get the new video. Then they give you more of what you like. Sure, but you also have to, <laughs> if you hit it twice and you click, click out of it. So you got to be careful. You can't do it, like, real quickly. You got to wait, like, two seconds. Is that or else it's it? going to exit out of the whole app. Uh, you and I were just talking about the potential line for the UNLV Eastern Washington game. This is going to be really fascinating. Eastern Washington's very good. They played spring football, though. So you wonder how healthy they are, you know, if there was wear and tear. We're going to get all the ins and outs for Eastern Washington. They're here on Thursday, and it should be – it's going to be an entertaining game. It's not an easy game for UNLV at all, especially after a winless season. So don't assume anything, but we're going to talk to the uh, play-by-play guy, Larry Weir, in less than five. Get that mortgage tuned up right now. 877-700-NOVA is the number to call at Nova Home Loans. From the fantastic Nova Home Loan Studios, it's Cofield and Company. 6.30 tonight, debut of the Marcus Arroyo radio show down at Parkway Tavern, right by the M. Volunteer is the name of the street. We'll have some tickets for the game this Thursday. Eastern Washington's in town. This is a good football team, a good FCS team. Loaded on offense, excellent at quarterback. Larry Weir calls the games, and he gives Cofield and Company here in Vegas a couple of minutes. How are you, sir? I'm well, thanks. How are you? Uh, we're good. We're good. There's a real fact-finding mission for us, not to sound obnoxious, because believe me, UNLV is <laughs> on the other end a lot of times playing some of the Power 5 schools. But this is a good opportunity for a really good FCS team to come in against an FBS program that you know is trying to rebuild here. The, the Eastern Washington has a good chance to win this game. Well, you know, Eastern has had success in the past. In 2012, when Idaho was still at the FBS level at the Sun Belt Conference, Eastern Washington was there. In 2013, they won at Oregon State. The Beavers were 25th in the nation to begin the season. They obviously didn't end uh, there. And then in 2016, they won at Washington State. So this is a team that has some experience. But having said that, you're still at a disadvantage in scholarships and a disadvantage in a lot of other ways. So uh, it's it's going to be interesting. To I'm really interested in seeing UNLV. With a full coming off a full spring and a full fall practice, I don't think last year was a good measurement as to what Coach Arroyo is going to be able to do there in Las Vegas. I, I expect a fully different UNLV team than than what we saw last fall. Well, I will tell you that the COVID affected the program on so many levels, and uh, it was a challenge. Anyone who tried to play in the fall, it was kind of ridiculous for programs that got behind the eight ball when it came to COVID. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, you know the. FCS moved everything to spring, and, and whether that was good or not, you know, we, we don't know at this point in time. A lot will depend on, you know, the health of teams as you go through the year. It's a lot to ask of these young men. Eastern Washington played seven games in the spring. Some schools played ten uh, when you got through the playoffs, and, and then to turn around three months later and, and have to play a season. We'll see how it all works out. I was going to actually go in a different direction, but I want to follow up on that real quick and, and just – I want. I wonder what their feeling is, and, and what the feeling around the program is of, you know, playing in the spring. I mean, you, most teams practice in the spring, and they're trying to get ready for the fall. But playing in the spring and then bouncing back and playing in the fall, do you think they're maybe more prepared to jump into a season? 
you know, I think in some ways, yes. Um, in talking to, to Coach Aaron Best this week, he thought that they were ahead of where they would normally be uh, after an August camp at this point in time because they played games in the spring. Uh, and, and I think there were some players that could not physically play in the spring because of injury or, or whatnot. So you have um, some players that had to step in in the spring who got more experience than they probably would have had uh, the previous season. So I think there are more uh, good players, perhaps, but I think that's going to probably be the case with most teams this year, uh, with the seniors getting eligibility back again this year. You know, in the, in the in the major programs, it probably didn't affect them much, but for those of us who weren't uh, in the Power Five, I think we'll probably be helped, and the talent difference will continue to, to shrink a little bit. So you mentioned, you know, there's been some big games in the program's history. They've played some, you know, some FBS opponents and, and played them well and gotten wins. Uh, but this experience of playing at Allegiant Stadium, how, how much excitement do you think there is around the program of getting to play in a place like this? A lot of guys are, are excited that I've talked to about it because you're playing in an NFL stadium, but you're playing in one of the, the fanciest stadiums, one of the most state-of-the-art stadiums as well, and We've got a few California kids on this team, and so they're going to be a little closer to home, and those guys always appreciate the opportunity to play in front of more family and friends than they get uh, when they play here in Cheney. So, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a, a, a great place just to see, and it's going to be a fun place, I think, for these young men to, to be able to play, and I think it's going to be a huge recruiting tool in the, in the future for UNLV to be able to say this is our home field. Tell us about the Eastern Washington quarterback. He's been around forever. He's put up gigantic numbers in uh, Eric Barrier. Barrier is – Eastern Washington has had a lot of good quarterbacks over the years, and, and Barrier is, is right up there with any of the good ones that have played here. Uh, he is probably the one guy who can score from anywhere on the field, uh, either by throwing the ball or running it. He has 92- and 85-yard touchdown runs in his career. Uh, he's one of the fastest players on the team. He's got a great arm. Um, the only thing he lacks is, is, is size. You know, he's, he's listed at six feet tall. He might be 5'11". He might be six feet. He's somewhere in that area. Um, so he doesn't have the prototypical size for the NFL. But he's got a lot of great characteristics. And, and he doesn't throw a lot of interceptions. Last year he threw a few in the spring. Uh, but most of those were balls that should have been caught by his receivers that were online and just bounced off shoulder pads or, in one case, off a helmet and, and uh, or went through hands. So he's a guy that is tremendously accurate as well, uh, very experienced, doesn't uh, usually uh, put the ball up, uh, up for grabs too often. And, and when he does, he's got a couple of receivers that he's pretty confident in in, in, in coming down with 50-50 balls. And this is a team that uh, they give him the green light. I mean, they throw the ball a lot. They throw the ball a lot. Uh, they want to be in their best years. They have a pretty balanced attack, uh, at least more balanced than 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 in in years where they have to live more by the pass. When in in 2018, when they played in the FCS championship game, they rushed for 265 yards a game that year, uh, but they threw for 300 and some odd yards per game that year. So this is a team that's that's a, a very electric offensive team. There are some really good weapons on this team. Talolo Limu Jones is a is a really good wide receiver, one of the best at the FCS level. Uh, the depth of the wide wide receiver position is tremendous. They've got 
an offensive line that was inexperienced in the spring and has been helped by uh, being able to play in the spring. They return all their starters from the spring season, including Tristan Taylor, who's six feet six, three hundred twenty-five pounds, the left tackle, and is an NFL prospect uh, as is Lou Johnson. And I think Barrier should be, but I don't know whether teams will get past his size, uh, you know, to give him the opportunity to play. But he certainly has the uh, he certainly has the ability to play at that level. Getting ready for UNLV in Eastern Washington. The Eagles in town on Thursday at the Al at 7 o'clock. Uh, UNLV, you mentioned, uh, you know, the offensive line for uh, Eastern Washington being a little inexperienced, uh, you know, last season. Uh, the Rebels are trying to mix in some new guys. They've got some veterans that they've got in as uh, transfers, but it's not exactly, you know, a made unit yet. Who's dangerous on that defensive line for Eastern Washington? Well, that's usually the, the question for Eastern is that they almost always have a very explosive offense and they almost always have a pretty porous defense. So uh, the years that Eastern has uh, a good defensive team are the years that they made deep runs into the FCS playoffs when they won the championship in 2010. They had an outstanding defense, forced over 40 turnovers. When they made it the championship game in 2018, they had a tremendous defensive team that in conference play allowed about 20 points per game. Uh, is all, and, and it's going to be interesting to see what they have on the defensive side of the ball this year. Uh, they've got uh, a couple of really good linebackers. Jack Sindelbach is a seventh-year player at Eastern. Um, Ty Graham uh, is, was a starter at the University of Idaho, grew up in Cheney, uh, where Eastern Washington University is, and uh, transferred back to Eastern for his senior year, and that was uh, delayed by COVID, obviously, and then uh, he gets a, his second senior season back uh, again this this fall. So uh, the linebackers are both really good for Eastern. Um, they've got a safety named Eli Doyle, who's a physical specimen, transfer out of Arizona State, uh, who played well in the spring. Uh, they've got a very uh, a heady guy back there in Callan Kreiner, who's the son of a, of a coach, and uh, he's a solid safety. He didn't play much in the spring because of injury. Defensive line is going to be a question mark for Eastern. They've got a very good defensive end in Mitchell Johnson. They've got a lot of depth at tackle, but they don't really have a star at tackle uh, like they've had maybe in the past. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see what this team can do defensively. If they have a good unit this year, then this team could make a deep run in the FCS playoffs. Larry, that was a great preview. We appreciate it. We'll see you here in uh, less than two days for the game, okay? Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Larry. There he is, Larry. We are a play-by-play voice of uh, Eastern Washington, and uh, pretty good test coming out of the gates for a team that couldn't win a game last year. And like I said, last year, in many ways, was crushed by COVID throughout and all the cancellations and not knowing if you're playing until late in the week. And um, I, I thought in most of the games UNLV lost, they they competed. Uh, Wyoming was tough, Hawaii was tough, but uh, they competed. And then you know somewhere in the third quarter, especially in the fourth, the defense would gas. So hopefully the defense is better. But here's the thing. Um, and it's no surprise, Eric Barrier is a California guy. There is no arguing. California is the quarterback state. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it just is. I mean, you, you look at whatever level, right? You want to go to the highest level, and then you're talking about Bryce Young at Alabama this year at a modern day. You're talking about um, Uyunglele at, at Clemson, who's also a Southern California guy. Uh, you've had raw dudes like Kaepernick and your guy, Josh Allen, right? Who didn't get all, you know, freaking Carson Strong got almost no offers. And Reno got him. And then this kid, Barry, is just a little undersized, but he's from Inglewood, another California guy. Yeah, they're all over the place. And that's one of the reasons UNLV is 
for so long. I mean, been very aggressive in trying to build that pipeline from the California market. There's a lot of players, but certainly quarterbacks are, uh, you know, plentiful in California and, and teams around the country are trying to, to go in there and find those guys. This kid's good. He's got 75 passing touchdowns in 38 games. Uh, you're talking about a super senior here and their quarterback and a guy who can also run the ball because the last two full seasons they played, he had roughly like 550 and 615 on the ground with a, another eight touchdowns in each season. So it's going to be a, it's going to be an immediate test. Uh, UNLV is is really trying to switch to having bigger athletes on the edge. And with Jacoby Winman now running the defense in the middle, there's going to be a lot on those guys outside freaking contain, contain, contain. Yeah, and, and I think for you know, just an overall sense, this is a much better test than I think, you know, usually when, when people look and they're not following college football and they don't really pay that much attention, they look at a schedule and say, oh, you know, FBS school started with an FCS school, clearly just a, a rollover, a gimmick game. Not the case here. This is a, a really tough opponent and a big, big challenge for UNLV. All right, we are out of here. Coming up next, uh, we'll get to our buddy Chris Russell as uh, Chris is going to preview the uh, Washington football team as uh, we roll on here at Nova Homos. The show never ends. Watch the Cofield and Company late night pod tonight at 9 o'clock on YouTube or at Steve Cofield on Twitter. Chopping it up on a Tuesday. It's Cofield and Company at the Nova Home Loan Studio. Rolling on with our football countdown from 32 to 1, our Cofield Company power rankings. Man, we've been down on a lot of teams. Uh, this is a team that we are not down on, and maybe we're a little too high on this. The former Redskins, the football team in Washington, Chris Russell from the team, has covered the WFT group forever. Chris, we have the football team at number nine overall in the NFL. Is that too high? Mr. Cofield, always a pleasure. Uh, I think that might be a little bit too rich, to be honest with you. I, I mean, I understand the temptation. Bad division last year, seven and nine. They, I think they've increased and, and gotten better on both sides of the football. Uh, but because they have a brutal schedule and a brutal quarterback gauntlet, including – you know, a, a trip to Vegas and, and and Mr. Carr. And I don't know if people would uh, around in your audience would, would consider that brutal, but that's just one more quarterback on top of the Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson's, Matt Ryan's, uh, Josh Allen's of the world, that type of thing. Oh, by the way, Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, I forgot about those uh, guys. Um, you, you know, I, I think that might be a little bit too rich. I, I'm, I, I think they're an improved offense. I don't think they're a good, great offense yet. I think they're a good offense, hopefully. I think they're a very good defense, but they're not a dominant defense yet. And I very much worry about them on special teams. Okay. A couple of the worries there. We'll uh, expound upon that in a couple of minutes with Chris Russell as we get you ready for the season. Talking about the football team. All right. So Fitzpatrick is the quarterback. Ryan Fitzpatrick, are you comfy with that? Yo, yeah, uh, no doubt. I mean, listen, he didn't have the best camp or the best preseason. Uh, as a matter of fact, they were 0 for 6 in terms of scoring, uh, in terms of first-team drive, Steve, uh, in the first two games of the preseason, playing two series against the Patriots, four against the Bengals. They missed just by an inch on a couple of throws that could have been touchdowns. I mean, that's a matter – I mean, you got to make the throws, right? So is there a concern there because they were 0 for 6 in terms of drives? Yeah, I guess a little bit of a concern, but Ron Rivera wasn't concerned. Um, 
there really was no competition between Fitzpatrick and Taylor Heineke, which, as you can imagine, after what Heineke did in that playoff game that the entire nation got to see, there was like a lot of intrigue and a lot of excitement and juice and buzz over Taylor Heineke here and I think nationally as much as Taylor Heineke can generate because of, again, what he did against Brady and the Buccaneers. There really was no reason, quite honestly, from the minute Ryan Fitzpatrick signed and certainly throughout training camp, there was really no reason to think that it was going any other way besides Ryan Fitzpatrick. So that said, do they need to bring another quarterback into the room if Heineke's really not competition? Could that quarterback be Cam Newton? And I guess before (laughs) all that, are you shocked by what happened early this morning? Patriots dump Cam Newton. Um, surprised, you know, I guess I can't say shocked just from this standpoint, we knew it was a battle between him and Mac Jones. We knew Mac Jones obviously had been very impressive. We know about the Saban Belichick love affair and relationship and respect and admiration. Uh, and, and then this, you know, when Cam had to miss five days last week, Steve, because of the, uh, COVID testing protocol, misunderstanding, whatever the hell they called it, right? Well, the reason why he had to miss that time is because he's unvaccinated. Um, Same thing for Carson Wentz in Indianapolis. Uh, Any in Rappaport pointed this out. You know, when you're an unvaccinated player in today's NFL, whether it's right, wrong, whether you believe it, not your choice. I mean, there's different rules for vaccinated versus unvaccinated. You're unvaccinated and you're close contact. You don't even have to test positive for it. You're just a close contact you're out five days minimum, and you have to have two successive over 24 hours past COVID tests, right? And if you test positive for the virus, as Lamar Jackson has several times, you got to miss 10 days minimum and have two consecutive days of successful passes, right, before you can even come back. So how do you trust a quarterback, if you're Bill Belichick, to be your number one or even your number one A or your clear number two, whatever the situation might be, if you don't know whether that guy's going to be around or not? And if he refuses to budge on the COVID, look, Belichick ain't going to say it, but he didn't have to say it. It went into the fact, you know, it went into the decision. As far as Washington, listen, there's a long tie between, obviously, Ron Rivera, this coaching staff, and Cam Newton. With as outspoken as Rivera has been about COVID and the vaccinations, I'd be stunned. Um, At one point a year ago, I thought, yeah, maybe Cam. This year when Cam was a free agent and before they signed Fitzpatrick, I thought, well, okay, maybe you bring in Cam. It was a fleeting thought this year. It was a much bigger thought in my mind last year. Right now, Steve, I, I'd, I'd be shocked. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd really be surprised. They have Kyle Allen, who started a, a bunch of games for Carolina two years ago. Uh, they have, you know, Allen started, uh, what, four games for them uh, last year. He's coming back off of ankle surgery. He's been a little bit slow to come around. But I think they have pretty decent depth and, and, and overall structure, one, two, three, in the quarterback room. It's the voice of Chris Russell. Cofield and Company, is, uh, he does a daily radio show on the uh, Team 980 in D.C. So, football team's out here on the 5th of December. That's week 13. You believe mm-hmm. at that point both teams are squarely still in the playoff race? Yeah, I do believe that. I mean, you know, um, I mean, listen, for the Vegas Raiders, obviously some things are going to have to come around. We all know that. I, I mean, you know. 
Like people can blame Carr all they want, but there's other issues clearly to deal with. The, uh, def- the being, defense, yes. Yeah, pass rush being one of them. Um, you know, so I, the thing that I fear for, you know, Vegas, just from an outsider's perspective and not having watched them closely, you know, is that defense in that division, obviously, which you know, Mahomes, Herbert, what we just mentioned, um, and there's more. Okay, maybe you get a little bit of a break with Teddy Bridgewater, maybe. But, I mean, then you go against a ferocious defense that Denver has built. So, I mean, do I see Vegas being a non-factor early December? No, I don't. Do I see them being, you know, a 10-11 win team at that point? Obviously, no, I don't. Um, Washington, you know, if if they – it's weird. They play the Giants week two, but then they don't play any division opponent until the last five weeks of the season. So I think that starts right after the Vegas game. You know, so that's going to be really interesting because we – I mean, they could be middling. They could be, you know, a 6-7 win team at that point when they get out to Vegas, maybe even less, I don't know. But then they can make up a lot of room and a lot of, you know, potential ground in a subpar, let's call it. You you don't want to call it a terrible division, subpar, fair, okay? So they can make a lot of that up in the last five weeks of the season, even if – they're not great coming into Vegas, which I would assume they're not going to be a dominant, explosive team coming to Sin City. I'll call the NFC East terrible. I, I think it's awful. I think the Giants and the the Eagles are going to be bad teams, uh, below seven wins, if not six or five. It, to me, it's the football team's division to win. I don't trust Dak yeah. to stay healthy the entire year. Um, also, we, 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 we still don't know about – you know, and this is part of my handicap and looking ahead, you know, we still don't know about VAC status for these quarterbacks and Dak may be one of them. And that means every freaking week, you don't know if he's going to play. So uh, by the numbers, by the Vegas numbers, first of all, would you bet the Redskins to win the division at just two to one? The Cowboys are the slight favorite at plus 150. Um, so so here's here's what what I'm looking at, right? Um, because I believe they're the most balanced team, despite some inefficiencies and, and again, tough schedule and all that stuff, I would say it's the most likely bet that's going to return your money and maybe a little, you know, a little push, right? But from a betting perspective, honestly, like I, I threw some money down on the Giants, Cofield, just because I, I – I, and I know a lot of people did. I, I read something that, uh, according to one of the major online books, that the Giants winning the NFC East was the third most popular bet shy of the Chiefs and the, and the uh, Buccaneers winning the Super Bowl. Now, listen, I mean, I, you know a lot more <laughs> about gambling and smart money and this, that, and yeah, the other yeah, thing. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people looked at big odds and they say, okay, I can bet $5 and return – Whatever, right? I mean, so I'll, that, I'll break in, Chris. I also think that's regional bias. If you're getting a lot of that feedback from Jersey, then you're going to have a lot of Giants betters there. If you sure. if you track what happens in New Jersey, maybe not the Jets, but the Giants and the Eagles are bet a little more aggressively than around the rest of the country. But I but I sure. but I get your point. There's a lot of action on the Giants, and they're not they're not completely upside for the Giants. Could be you know nine or ten wins. That's upside. Yeah. Everything's yeah. got to go right. Um, you know, downside I mean, could be they could be just as bad as last year. On health and Daniel Jones, right? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. mean, we know their defense is pretty good, um, and 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 I like their place kicker a lot more than I like Washington's place kicker. The question will be is 
is Daniel Jones or Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know, the continuous roller coaster that they've been so far in one short okay. career, one right. long career. And then on top of that, does New York get Kadarius Tony ever back? Does it get Saquon Barkley ever back? Is Kyle Rudolph ever going to stay healthy? Is Kenny Galladay ever going to stay healthy? I mean, these, you know, the Giants could either be a six-win team or they could be a 10-win team. That's the, kind of the way I look. Whereas I think Washington, maybe I'm wrong, Steve, is an eight or nine win team kind of okay. sitting right there. Which is appropriate because their total is eight and a half wins. Right. <laughs> so where are you so going? I, where are you I going? Go, I would go over the eight and a hook. Okay. All right. Just, but just slightly. I do not think this is a 10 win team. I could be wrong. Things could break down, obviously. And again, you never know with those five division games at the end. And 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 I agree with you on Philadelphia. Philadelphia is trash. And Dallas, I, I just I don't see the defense at all. I mean, yes, Micah Parsons is awesome. If Van Der Esch can stay healthy, maybe they'll be a, a, a you know a lot better at the linebacker level than they were last year. You know, Tank Lawrence has kind of maybe hit the wall a little bit. He's been banged up. They don't have much else on their defensive line. And if you saw their secondary throughout the preseason, <laughs> and especially Sunday with you now Trevor Lawrence. Great, right? Good. But, I mean, he carved them up. I, that's what I expect a lot of in Dallas this year. I expect a lot of the 34-31 type stuff. And you're right. I've been saying this all even before Dak's shoulder. I never thought he was going to be able to be 100% to start the season, never mind make it through the season, just coming off the ankle with a lower leg. Chris, we appreciate the time, buddy. Great to see you. Uh, miss you. And uh, say hello to everybody in Vegas for me. There he is, Chris Russell, previewing the football team, a future opponent of your Las Vegas Raiders on December 5th. That'll do it today on Cofield & Company. Thanks to Nova Home Loans for housing the show. Make sure you give Dustin DeHart a call. Get that mortgage tune-up. Stop wasting time. Get in. Get it done. 577-2600 is the number. We're 30 minutes away from the first Marcus Arroyo radio show of the season. The UNLV football coach will be at Parkway Tavern. That's the home of the show this year. The coach, Caleb Herring. And myself will kick off the show from Parkway Tavern on Volunteer right near the M. Stop by and see us or stick around and listen here at 630.